Do you want to unleash your inner power and heal your past wounds? Do you want to learn the secrets of Celtic wisdom and magic? Do you want to transform your life and align with your true purpose? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you need to listen to Practically Magic, the podcast that shows you how to use ancient healing in a modern way. Join me, Courtney Earle, a self-proclaimed witch, healer, and Celtic priestess, and let me guide you through the dark cauldron of your subconscious and help you emerge with a new vision of yourself. Practically Magic is more than just a podcast. It is a journey of self-discovery and empowerment. Tune in every week and get ready to experience massive healing, balance, and peace for your soul and body. Listen on Ride the Wave Media. Hey, it's just Blaine and Bex here with the best podcast in Utah. That's right. It's Radio Daybreak, a show highlighting the people, businesses, and events that make Daybreak, Salt Lake City, and Utah one of the most majestic places around. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and never miss an episode of the best podcast in Utah, Radio Daybreak. The following presentation is a production of Ride the Wave Media. Hello, everybody, and welcome to uh, episode three of Vibing the Apocalypse. If I sound super, super sexy, it's because I, the, I've been smitten with the apocalypse cold, and I'm doing my best to nurse myself back to health, but it is day 1,414 of the apocalypse, so I hope you are all staying well and healthy. It's a bright, sunny day in January in Utah right now, which is how you know that we are just knee-deep in the apocalypse, because this is not what January is supposed to be looking like in Utah. I'm very excited for today's episode. Today is going to be my very first guest, and I'm very excited for this particular guest because she is one of my favorite artists that I've ever met, and she has a podcast where she talks to creatives about art. It's called Artifice, and the craft of making art, and I think that art and the apocalypse are two very important they go hand in hand because we need to be able to, as we're rebuilding this world, we're going to need a lot of artists. Welcome to Vibe in the Apocalypse, my friend, Emily Merrill. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Emily, I'm so excited that you're here. I wanted to jump right into this conversation. And the first place that I want to start is I want I want you to just have a, a little bit to just introduce yourself and to talk a little bit about what your background with the with thinking of the apocalypse is. Like what when when you were a kid... Did 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 you grow up thinking about the apocalypse? Were you prepared for the apocalypse in any way? Just give us your kind of apocalypse his- history. Yes. Okay. So I grew up mainstream LDS. So thinking about the apocalypse. Actually, I think the truth is I didn't really under- hear the word apocalypse until I was maybe a little bit older and there were like a bunch of apocalypse movies coming out at the same mm-hmm. time. There was Deep Impact, which is like a, a comet hitting the earth movie. Elijah Wood is in it. And Armageddon. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Especially teenage Elijah Wood. It was a whole thing. Pre Frodo. Pre Frodo Elijah Wood. That's, that's, that's some, that's some very young Elijah. That's 12 year old Elijah Wood. Yes. So I remember asking my parents about it and them saying, well, that's like, we talked about the second coming of Jesus. Mm, I didn't know that there was supposed to be scary shit happening at the same time. Yeah. So I didn't know that until I was maybe like in my early teens. When you learned, when you learned that there was going to be scary shit, how did that, how did that impact? Like, how did you, how did you respond to that? I think Ben, if I'm being honest, the truth is that I just thought I was going to be one of the people that didn't have any scary shit happen. 
Oh, because you were righteous. Right. I, mean, I remember. Isn't that kind of probably how you felt too? Well, no. So that's that's maybe a little bit different is that I I heard about the scary shit that was going to ha- be happening. And I was like, finally something interesting. Because mm-hmm. I, re- I just remember the predominant emotional experience of my childhood was boredom. Yeah. I was just bored all the time. Yeah. And and so the idea of the apocalypse actually was quite exciting to me. This is a true story. So for me, the first the first moment that I remember where I where I remember thinking, okay, now we're in the apocalypse. Like now it's beginning was was 9/11, right? When 9/11 happens, we wake up the morning of 9/11 and we like hear it on the radios and we canceled our we like canceled our we had a little compound school. <laughs> And we canceled compound school and we went to just a neighbor's house. Like I think it was someone's someone's uncle or aunt who wasn't a member of the AUB. So they had a TV and we like went to their house and we just watched 9-11 on television all day, which is apparently what everyone else did, which is wild. It's, It's wild to me that that's what we did and that adults let children yeah. Just watch reruns of people jumping out of buildings yes. all day. All day. Me too. Yep. I was in junior high. I was in, I think, the seventh grade. Yep. Mm-hmm. I remember that for sure. Yeah. Wars and, and which rumors is just, of wars. I remember. Wars and rumors of wars. Yeah. Rumors of wars. And, and just incredibly psychologically scarring too. That's mm-hmm. the one thing that will make, that kind of makes me believe, because as a former polygamist, I don't. I, I generally run away from conspiracy theories. If someone has a conspiracy theory, I'm like, that's probably not true. I get skeptical, yeah. I get, I'm pretty skeptical. My skeptical radar is pretty hard. But, but the, with 9-11, the one thing that kind of makes me think that maybe there was a little bit of an insight is like, why, were, why was everyone playing it, just pumping it into, just on a nervous system level for the entire country to just be so traumatized? I feel like the adults just couldn't turn it off and they were like well kids are here so they're watching it yeah i, I feel I, like it that, was just like coping like we just there what else is there to do but stay i think i think because i remember i remember seeing my parents and seeing like the adults around me and they were just they were just locked onto it so i think you're you're probably right Transfixed. but for me that experience what the, i remember i remember that happening and i was just like i was like finally some shit's about to go down I'm like, finally, all of this crazy shit that we've been talking about happening is going to happen so we can start to do things. I was scared of that. I definitely thought there would be some scary, scary times pre-second coming. Like it would get really bad. But I guess I didn't really think of that as the apocalypse as much as just that's what the world will be. But hey, I had another thought if it's an okay time to share it, which is maybe an important part of like kind of me beginning to think about what I actually think is happening is when I was in 10th grade, I joined the speech and debate team and I was doing policy debate, which is debating policies. And Mm -hmm. every year, America chooses like a theme and all of the kids and high school students and college students all over the country who are in policy debate debate on the same theme. And that first year that I was on the speech and debate team, our topic was ocean policy. And okay. So I started learning about climate change in right. 2003, which was definitely before we were before here. Before it was popular. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I was reading like peer reviewed papers and learning about the pH changing in the ocean and yeah. just what was happening with pollution and would come home and talk about it with my parents. And they would be like, don't believe everything you read. And I'd be like, this is written by people with PhDs. And it is it is wild to me so how me. because I because my parents have a similar and and again our parents are on different levels of 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 the cult the, of cult in in Mormonism but they're they're both in there they're both very dedicated yeah. <laughs> to to their age into their individual versions of it yes. and and my parents felt the same way about climate change when it started to trickle down into the world that that we were living in where they were just very much don't trust the scientists. Don't trust. Don't listen to these. These is. I, I remember them saying things like it was. They they love to blame it on the communists, which I feel like is very 1950s. But that's the world that they're living in. But it, it always blows my mind because if, especially in the Mormon world, right? Because in the Mormon world, you literally believe that this American land. Which, by the way, can I can I I want to pause there because I want to tell you this because I think you'll like it. I don't I don't like calling America America. It, oh, you it told really me actually wait turtle something about I, turtle turtles Island. yeah yeah calling America America really bugs me because it's this dude Amerigo Vespucci who just came here and walked around and then wrote his name on it like to me America is the height of calling where we're at America is like the height of colonialism. Yes, 100%. Like it, it ignores the fact that for tens of thousands of years, there were people here. And I just, yeah. So the, the natives or not all the natives, cause that's like a, that's a, to say the natives right. is to ignore the fact that there were tons of different, some of the indigenous people, some of the indigenous peoples, specifically the Iroquois who I think are just rad for everything that I learned about them. They're so cool they would call this place Turtle Island because if you look, and this is what's weird to me, is if you look at the North American continent from way high up, it looks like a turtle. Like it's got its hands, it's got its shell, it's got its, its and the thing that's even more interesting is it looks like that turtle is diving, wow. right? It looks like that turtle is going underwater. And, and that to me is like a great metaphor for climate change where like, ocean levels are rising and we're going underwater. And it blew my mind that, that the, because Mormons believe that, and a lot of Americans believe that, that this place is like a chosen land and that God brought them here specifically, right? Like they, there's so much of that in the American mythos. And it blows my mind that you could believe that God brought you somewhere and that God gave you this super special land and that you wouldn't have to like take care of it. Yeah. Right. That you God, I, that you wouldn't yes. have to like well, keep so it clean. You were saying, you know, your parents were were took like a this is like a communism thing and my parents were very much well this is bleeding heart stuff. And I remember oh, just right. thinking, I remember always thinking like throughout my childhood like why don't we all want to be like that? Isn't that kind of what Jesus taught? But right. I, think, I think for me, like that kind of bleeding heart thing is just um, what I found, how I found myself in art. That's definitely like a through line for me personally. Yeah, I think that there's something, just that bleeding heart, because to me that that speaks to the soul of compassion. Yeah. And, and I remember that, 
very, it does seem very, it seems like a, a very Christian in the best sense of Christianity, right? I think that if you take, if you take the Christian myth and you, and you really apply it in the way that, the, that Jesus intended, right? The actual Jesus who came and right. was like, hey, Christian give all your philosophy. money. Right, right, right. Then you, you get that. And it's, it's just, it's sad to me that, that so many, because the Christian myth is such a beautiful myth. Yeah. And it there's so much opportunity for compassion and and care in it. And I remember that for me, my sort of soft and tender heart was a big thing that was well, I would actually credit that as the dominant thing that eventually pushed me out of Mormonism. Same. Is we're, that we're I both, we're both like that and we're also both both very curious, which I think are mm -hmm. that's why we're artists. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, on. and I think that I think that I'm you excited. have to be able to. I am too. I, I think that you because I think that you have to be able to approach the world with a sense of compassion, especially today, right? Especially as as the world falls to pieces yes. and everything gets broken. I think that it's going to be there's two different routes that you could go down. Like route number one is you could go down a righteous route, and you could say, "Look, this is happening because people were wicked." And the wicked people are going to be punished and the righteous people are going to, going to be saved and I'm going to be a righteous person. Mm -hmm. And you could go down that path. And I think if you go down that path, I think that path ends in a really dark place. Yeah, that path ends in that, the apocalypse in every sense of the word. Right, that, that path ends in like the darkest apocalypse. And it, Or you can go down this path of compassion, which is, look, we are all equally culpable for the world that we live in. We are all, we all created this world together and we're all going to be, we're all going to suffer the consequences of this world that we created together. Yeah. And so together we can try to find a way to, to, to make the world, to make a world that takes care of everyone. Right. Yep. I'm so there. <laughs> I think, I think like you, I've been there since I was a little kid in whatever way my worldview would allow and as curiosity has brought me to greater knowledge, that worldview expands to include quite a bit more. Yeah, and I think that I think that's I think that's why I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Let's let's kind of shift gears and let's talk a little bit about what you. I want to get into art, and I want to get into the apocalypse, and I want to get into what you think the role of art is in this current apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I have notes. I've been thinking about this all week. And I'll just tell you, so I don't need to read my notes, but I have, I, I was thinking a lot and I, I, I have basically three categories of things that I think art can do for us okay. in the apocalypse. One I love this. Just, one is what you were saying before about human connection and compassion and using art as like a means toward mm. understanding each other. So I'm ready to talk about that at length. The other is just like creativity and art as like resourcefulness, innovation, problem solving, Ooh, so, yeah. which mm -hmm. we absolutely need. And yeah. the third, which is maybe like a bit of a combination of the two, is art toward social movement and cultural shifts and yeah, broad cultural like ideology and movement. Oh, I love this. Oh my God. I love the way your brain works. And I'm so, I'm so excited that you did exactly just that. So I love all three of those categories. The way that I'd like to invite you to approach this conversation then is because part of, part of what I want to do with this podcast is I want this podcast to be a resource for people to start to live and behave differently yeah. in the apocalypse based on what they learn here. Yeah. 
And I would really, and I, I know that you're probably going to go this way anyway, because you're a teacher and that's the energy that you bring. But I would really like to invite you to step into that sort of powerful place of I art. That's something that's been in your, you, you've been in that world for a long time. You've really paid the price to, to be legitimate in that area, right? And to have, to have, to have what you say matter. And I would love to have you just educate us on, okay. on how we can use art in the apocalypse to make the world a better place. Hell yeah. Well, I, I can, may I open with a quote? Yes, please. <laughs> So this quote is from um, Lily Wychowski, who's one of the makers of The Matrix. And I, I heard this quote on a documentary called Disclosure. It's on Netflix and it's about trans people in media. Mm -hmm. But she says, I love this and I think you're going to love it too. She says, there's something that is funny about the magic trick of creating something out of thin air and then using that thing as this handhold to pull yourself forward. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. I love that so much. I love it so much too. And it really feels like what we're doing as artists, there's many ways that art like functions mm. or, you know, or doesn't function. Not all art needs to be functional, of course. But I think so much art that is made is like this. It's the artist is is creating a thing that they themselves or themselves and others can use to pull them forward. And I think part of the reason that when I heard this quote, it rang so true to me is I have this, I have, I have a podcast where I interview artists and I so frequently hear, so shockingly frequently hear from artists, something along the lines of, I didn't really know what the work was about until I finished it. Like they're mm -hmm. creating this thing that kind of helps them to like reach, reach their next kind of stage of evolution. Yeah. So, from a from a, from my perspective, like maybe the next place that I go is like the last big project that I made, the Hallowed Wide, which you have seen and heard. I have seen, yeah, it was lovely. Thank you. Yeah, so the Hallowed Wide is it's it's a manifesto, it's a philosophy. I wrote it at the beginning of the pandemic, and I was thinking so much and just feeling like heartbreak about what was going on in the world, how much division there was, how that division was manifesting in my family. I had broken contact with my dad like right around that same time. Mm. And I wrote this piece, this body of work that that is like a step-by-step -step guide for human connection. And that's just kind of one example. These things exist all over our culture. People writing books, people making films that kind of teach us new ways to communicate with each other, teach us empathy. Yeah. And I love this idea too, that, that, that as, as artists, as we're creating that, those, those works that we don't really need to know the full journey. Going back to the Wachowski, Wachowski quote, like that it's, it's a handhold to just pull us along yeah. to the next thing. And especially during apocalyptic times, especially during right now, when we don't Nobody knows what's going to happen, right? We have we have no we have no idea what the world will look like a year from now, ten years from now. All we know is that it will look radically different from how it looks right now. And if we can, as artists, create little just little things that pull us into the next, and then into the next, and then into the next, that's really all all we need is to find the next because everything is so we're surfing right now. Right. Everything is. And all we need to be able to see is just the right around the next corner. 
and then right around the next corner and then right around the next corner. And so I love that idea that art can really be something that helps us do that. Yeah. It, yes. And even just thinking like in these, one of my favorite ways to, to think about how art does this is it's a vehicle for empathy. Imagining someone else's life, imagining or a new future, but specifically as we're talking about human connection, which we absolutely need to figure out if we're going to avoid certain aspects of this apocalypse that we're yeah. headed into. Having empathy for another person really is a creative endeavor. You're imagining yourself mm. in another person's situation and imagining what it would feel like to be that person. And that's that's creative. And what we're doing as like storytellers, as writers, as actors, is teaching people to see another perspective. When someone creates like a, a cultural work, something really iconic, I know there's like different ways of thinking about this, but one thing I think about is like The Help, this this movie The Help, which is really centered toward white people. But it's just right. this little kind of touchstone that can get someone who's not thinking about privilege at all, who who can't even fit that concept in their mind remotely, to just crack open that door a little bit of what is this other experience and just yeah. an example, but there are so many things like that that kind of lead toward these broad cultural changes. And I love this idea, too, of what you said about about empathy being a creative endeavor. Yeah. That, that to me, like, that really hit me because we need so much empathy in our world right now, especially in 2024. As we, as we careen towards what will be the most absurd presidential election of our yes. lifetimes. Right where we are, we're literally about to have an election between a dead man and a crazy man, yes. and and all of us have to fight over which one of those two versions of America we want. Right, a version of America who's just an orange buffoon, or a version of America who doesn't know where he is or what's happening, yeah. and that is the fight that we're going to have, and. And it's almost it's almost like it's designed in some way to keep us in conflict. And but if we could just slow down and exercise a little bit of creativity and just try to empathically understand, if you were to think about the person that you disagree with the most, yeah. and if you were to tr just for a minute try to get into that person's shoes and understand and not just their shoes of their lifetime, but their shoes and like the shoes of their generationally, right? right? That's part of it too. Cause I, I'm, <clears throat> you mentioned that you're not speaking to your dad. I'm also currently not speaking to my dad for, for a similar reason. But, but part of that boundary that I set with my dad, it came from a place of understanding his perspective. Yeah. I don't feel a lot of anger towards my dad anymore. I've, I've in large part, I've, I've really forgiven and, and moved on from that. And part of what enabled me to do that is that I really was able to get into his shoes. I was able to see his perspective. Yeah. And once I saw his perspective, it was almost like I, and this is a guy, this is a man who was not very kind to me, right? He, he literally labor trafficked me and, and, and then, and, and hasn't really fully acknowledged that, right? Like he did something that that awful. And I still don't, I still don't feel like he really thinks that he did anything that bad. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why I'm like, I, 
until you really acknowledge how, how bad that was, yeah. then we can have, then we can start to have a, have a relationship. Right. But, but for me being able to, to just get into his shoes and to understand that this is a man who, who was born in the, in the, in the, in Wyoming in like the sixties. And he, and he was raised by a very violent dad. He was raised in a very violent religion. He was raised in a religion that told him that he was the most important thing on God's earth. And as he's lived his life, he's realized he's, he's had to really come to terms with a couple of, of gnarly facts. One of which is he's actually not that important. And it's a rough, like a and that is a swallow. That is a bitter pill to swallow when you've been told your whole life that you really matter. And and that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that 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 empathetic understanding of my dad, which which was a creative thing. I had to really imagine what that felt like. Right. Right. That doesn't mean that I don't hold that man accountable for what he does. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I just let him do whatever he wants to and that I don't let him know when he does things that bother me. In fact, knowing who my dad is and understand that empathetic understanding of my dad makes it easier for me to hold him accountable. Totally. I was And it makes it easier for me to same thing. Yeah, it makes it easier for I would love to hear what you think about that because it makes it easier for me to do those things and I think that I I think that if we I think in America we are so afraid we're so afraid of understanding someone who's different than us, be that a trans person or a Republican or a or a or an Amish person or anything, right? We're so afraid of understanding someone who's different from us because we're worried that we'll lose ourselves in that understanding. Mm-hmm. And I think that is that's a pretty codependent way to to look at things. Very because very. if 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 true understanding of another person doesn't mean that I lose myself, it means I get to see them. And if I can, and and it, it does require me to put myself down a pedestal, right? I can't be the most important thing in the whole world. I've got to recognize that I'm one of many. It's the same um, lesson. But go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. And I've, I've been talking a lot. I want to get your, your thoughts on this. No, go no. ahead. Well, I also love the way your brain works. But yeah, I think it's, it's the same lesson. It's if you, if, if you want to be able to see someone empathically and to really see the bad things that this person has done have understandable ingredients. Like there, there is, there can be, I can understand how this person with this set of circumstances, with this mind, with this set of skills lands here and to see the sadness in that and to see the loss in that and not to just be like, well, this person's a bad person, piece of shit. But like this is a person who has, who's dealing with, trauma in specific ways if you're gonna extend that kind of thought process to someone else you have to extend it to yourself too and realize the ways in which you are complicit in your own maladaptive behaviors the ways in which you are capable of blind spots it's Mm -hmm. very it's a it's a lack of certainty that is very very difficult for humans yeah and i think very very difficult for humans and i think part of Maybe not easy for artists, but I think that artists we play in that space. One hundred percent. I think I mean, this is what I we have to play in this space of the edges are a little bit softer. One hundred percent. Yeah, this is what I'm always saying to my podcast guests: of I have no illusions that artists are that that creativity only exists in the arts. 
artful thinking, creative thinking, it is it's human. It's just it's something that we it's our kind of natural state as a species. But one thing that I love about artists and that I think it's not unique to artists, but it would be difficult to find an artist who isn't doing it. Like you said, Mm -hmm. thinking about the edges, suspending disbelief, taking the mind to these other places. And it's something that we practice. It's a skill. And this is the thing that I think we need in the apocalypse. This is why this is where I think art needs to be all of ours. And I believe that I think like art is part of the human condition. And it's part of the kind of capitalist lie that we think art is like a hobby or that art is this kind of non-pragmatic, whatever, entertainment kind of a thing. Art is humanity, and art is, like, one thing I was talking about recently with another artist is we have this idea sometimes that there's, like, logical thinking and creative thinking. This seems crazy to me, because what is more creative than logical thinking? Like, it's so creative to be like, where are the gaps? Where are the holes in this, like, thing that I'm laying out, this reasoning that I have? It's deeply creative to imagine the exception to the rule. That's that's an art skill. Yeah, it totally is. And I love what you said, too, about, about everyone being artists, because I think that especially, especially now, especially in the apocalypse, it's going to be so important for every human to really exercise that creative muscle yeah. because – if if art is one thing, it's creatively responding to the it's to the things that are available to you right here, right? As an artist, you have to you can't make something with something that's not in front of you. So you can't be like, oh, I wish I had this other thing. No, you got you got what you got in front of yes. you. And I think in some ways, in some ways, the although I love professional artists, right? To be clear, like I love the the high caliber of performance art of yeah. of all different kinds of art when when someone like really becomes a professional and they do it and they like Beyonce fucking amazing yes and and I think that we lose something as a species when we outsource art to to those people Absolutely. and we say we say oh only beyond I can't I can't sing because I can't sing like Beyonce right no no, like we need everyone to be singing right now. We need yeah. everyone to be engaged in their creative because because there's actually there's something really deeply human about the creative about the creative process and if we're not engaged in that way in some ways we're we're, we're turned off and I think we're more susceptible to this capitalist machine totally. that has in many ways been the thing that has driven the apocalypse, right? The reason that we are actually in which is so funny to me <laughs> sometimes because I, I'm I grow up and I think I think the apocalypse is happening and then I come into the world and I'm like oh I guess it's not I guess th- I was lied to about the apocalypse and then a couple of years later oh shit actually oh it's actually happening yeah. but why is it actually happening well it's because we've been living so out of balance with our environments yeah. we we were so out of touch with who we are and what our planet is and and who each other are that we've we've exploited this this really good earth to the point where she's she's pissed at us and she's motherfuckers take a, take a step back yes yep yes yeah uh, one of the things that i have written down in my notes is this idea that if you're a hammer everything looks like a nail 
And uh-huh. I think if you're an artist, everything looks like raw material. Ooh, like everything yeah. looks like something that can. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. Everything looks like something that can be worked on or be thought about or it's a mindset. It really is. And and for so many artists, their medium ultimately really is ideas, like whether they're a visual mm-hmm. artist, whether they're a writer, whether they're a musician, not always. Like sometimes the the beauty of the thing is just in the thing. And I have lots of thoughts about that as well. But a lot of times our medium is ideas and that that requires like a like you said, not being turned off, like just being aware, thinking of singing and dancing, not as these forms of entertainment or writing or storytelling, but like just things that are like essentially part of our species. Like physiologically, what does singing do? Physiologically, what does dancing do? Physiologically, what is rhythm? What is mm-hmm. it to tell a story? Storytelling is so impactful in our evolution because you can pack so much wisdom into a story. You don't have to say all the things. It's, it's there in a kind of bigger way. These are, these are deeply creative means that have led to our evolution. And like you said, because of certain philosophies, we've stopped th- using them and to our detriment. Yeah, we've outsourced them. We've we we I I I can't tell you how many people I've heard say something like, "Oh, I can't sing. I'm not Beyonce," or something like that. And I'm like, I didn't ask for Beyonce. Right. Your larynx, your your instrument as a human being, is you're one right of the here. Most versatile instruments in the well, the most versatile instrument in the entire animal kingdom. You yeah. can sing. Yeah, and the range to sing. Your body. The range. The uh, just on that, the range of human expression. This was one of the things that I I think I think is was the most most impactful to me when I went to when I went to Burning Man. Is I'm out at Burning Man, and one of the one of the core tenant or one of the the there are ten principles of Burning Man, right? That sort of govern the way that 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 ecosystem works, and one of them is radical self expression. And the idea is just that whatever is inside of you that wants to express, let that thing express. And so you walk around Burning Man and you see the most wild expressions of human creativity. The most and, – and it's not, just, it's not just wild. It's like the variety of human expression. And you, then you come back into, just as an example, cars at Burning Man versus cars out here in the world. We have the most boring cars. They're all white, black, tan, or gray. Some of them are blue or green. A couple of them are red, but they all have four doors. They all have a windshield, right? Like everything about, they're they're all exactly the same. And at Burning Man, you, you can have whatever kind of car, like you have a chassis, right? You have four wheels, and then you can put whatever you want on top. So there are cars that are like peacocks. There are cars that are there are cars that are witches' houses. There's a there was a car that was a a pirate ship. There was a pirate ship on a car, and they just drove it around, and you could like climb up to the top of it, right? And so I think a lot about how how human creativity and expression has been stunted in the capitalist world and also very much for me in the Mormon world, right? Where there's this cookie cutter of who you, what you're allowed, what kind of expression is okay, what kind of expression you're allowed to to express rather than just like 
exercising, like you said, like your larynx is the most, the variety of sounds that you can get to come out of your voice box is wild. Well, it's we, crazy. We've been taught to treat this like sterility, like this just absolute sterile, boring, unenriching environment and ways of expression as virtuous. That's the great, right. the great lie. But like, we were talking about this the other day. I know we both had read the, Your Brain on Art. And one of my favorite things about that book was it was talking about, it, it talks a lot about how humans need enrichment. <laughs> like other animals, aesthetic environments are like critical to our mental and physical and emotional well-being. And we forget to think about like beauty as a sustainability practice and, mm. you know, beauty and enrichment. Like these things are, we've been, we've been sold this, this bill of goods. <laughs> we've been sold this, yeah. this lie that, you know. We've been sold efficiency, right? We've been, we've been sold and this sterile. and sterility and, and, and like Puritan, I, I blame it on the Puritans because it's right. like this very, very rigid, very strict. It works. It's functional. But where's the, where's the, ma like, where's the magic to it? it where's it, the. It doesn't work. I know that's, I right. know that's what I mean, but it, it falls completely apart. It leaves everybody depressed. No one can innovate. No one is, no one is vibrant. Like yes. the, the world is the vast majority of humans are just like reduced to this cog in a machine instead of what we are, oh. which is some of the best we are. We are a brilliant species. And yeah. I know sometimes people who are talking about environmental collapse will be like, ah, get rid of us humans, whatever. And I hear that. But also I feel like you, I love people. I think humans are miraculous. Yeah. And this idea that so many of us are like, we've been taught to accept and even prioritize this shitty, shitty life. That right. you know, has no color and has no innovation and has no beauty, and it's very yeah, bad. Just, just what you said about how we've been how we've been reduced to this, yeah. and I that I feel that so strong because we are living so far. Most humans are living so far beneath our creative potential because we are in a system that says. This is all we need from you. The, the idea that we live in a system that tells humans, hey, all we need from you is for you to go to a job every day from nine to five and to do things like to, to, that's what we need from you as a species. That's gross to me. When, yes. when, you have, when you have a human being and all of the amazing creative things that that person could do to tell them, hey, the life that we need from you is this really limited, small life that follows this very specific track. And then at the end of it, at the end of it, if you're lucky, you'll get like maybe five or 10 years to have a hobby. Right. And we talk to artists. I, I'm talking to artists all the time. I might teach artists. I, I am one. And people all the time are like, they, they talk to you like it's vanity. They talk to you like it's superfluous and it's frivolous. And one of one of the thoughts that I that I had as I was thinking about this it with talking with you is not everybody needs to be a professional artist, like you said. But I think if we all can embrace like creativity, enrichment, mm -hmm. creative thinking, beauty, we will find ourselves um, creatively and artfully 
in the in the places that are going to be the best uses of our skills. We will find yeah. the most artful, the most creative people leading, being leaders. We will find the most um, creative and brilliant and innovative science minds in science. And we totally. will find someone doing ballet. And there's something mystical about that. Um, yeah. Or, or someone, someone, someone approaching politics as a creative act. Yes, this is one of my right? favorite like, questions to oh, ask. Oh, I would my, kill my for an artist in politics. Right. Please, dear God. I want for all of us to be artists. I, I really believe that. That's my ethical mission, which is why I write, I write albums for the listener. I don't know if we've said this, but I'm a singer, so yeah. my my main medium is like singing and songwriting. I do. I write a lot of prose. I do a lot of thinking. But my, 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 the medium that I get paid for is singing and songwriting. And I write works that are, that are, that have a moral. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm a philosopher and my philosophies like end up in the form of songs that I'm singing. Yeah. And I'm writing, I'm writing about how do we all be artists? Like how can we all incorporate artful thinking and artful doing into our lives. And that's, that's what's in like the intro of my podcast. (laughs) And the thing that that I think, the thing that I think is, is so, um, beautiful about where we're at right now and the, the, the specific time space in history that we're in, in right now is that as bad, like I was just, I was just looking at shit yesterday. Like we're several, we're hundreds of, we're like 109 days or something into this awful humanitarian crisis in Gaza We are, there's still a war happening in Ukraine and that probably over the next couple of years spills over into a global war and the climate is just batshit crazy right now. You have America just at each other's throats over the dumbest things. In Utah here, they're trying to get us, they're still trying to get us to fight about trans bathrooms, which is the stupidest thing for us to, because nobody, nobody cares it's not nobody re- no one cares enough to ask someone else hey show me your genitals before you go into this bathroom right nobody cares we do it's not like a, care it's a red herring it's just a t- it's a red herring we we're, right we're you're you're trying to get us to fight and so all of that's happening so it's it's crazy it's a crazy scary time and i can't think of a better canvas for artists to create on because we have so much, there's so much up in the air. There's so much that could be questioned right now. Today, we can question things that 10 years ago, you could never question. Yeah, right. You can question those things today. Oh, and yeah. it's completely go. different than it was. Oh, well, I, I, I got excited for a second there because I was, I was just talking about this with another friend. I teach college and when I look at just the the diversity of expression in the freshman class at Utah Valley University, granted it, right. is, a, it is a music program that I'm in. The, the stats are probably skewed a little, but we're still in Utah County. A lot of my students, if not most, grew up LDS. Many of them still are LDS. And they have so much more diversity of expression than I saw in when I went to college for jazz studies in 2006, which I was, I went to school in this little hippie town, and I see more diversity in the freshman oh, class hell yeah. in Orem in, I, so in Utah Valley University. Yeah. 
that that makes me so happy because I I have I have a term that I've coined around diverse diversity. It's called diverse immunity. Mm. And it's it's where you take diversity and community and you mash them together. Mm-hmm. And if you have if you have a diverse community, what you have is you have diverse immunity, meaning that you are immune to a lot of the shocks that might come from an apocalyptic event because you have a wide variety of skill sets and experiences. Yes. And I think that I think that as we continue to go deeper into the apocalypse, the communities that because there's going to be some communities who are going to say, no, we the the strength for us is in having everyone exactly the same. And if we have everyone exactly the same, then we then we'll survive. And I think that's stupid. Well, because no, it's we know it's it is because what happens is people still they just niche down. <laughs> like yeah. they just what happens to a monoculture? Monocultures right. fail all the time. What you need in nature to be healthy is you need a vibrant, diverse ecosystem. And so one of the things, like when, when you look at Turtle Island and you look at the what, what happened in Turtle Island over the last 400 years, while there was tons of bad shit, number one, let's acknowledge that. Like all of the crazy bad shit that happened needs to be addressed and, and resolved. And what it's done right now, and when you look at where Turtle Island is right now, we have the most, one of the most diverse, passionate, dedicated, and disciplined cultures in the entire world. Because for the last 200, 300 years, all over the world, everyone heard about this America thing and they were like, I got to get me some of that. Yeah. And then they came here. So now we have tons of people. And if, and if we could just, if we could just recognize how immensely valuable that diversity is in America and invest in it totally. and and really lean into that and 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 just just make that a value, yeah. then oh my God, the things that would get unlocked. Yes. Right. Because we have we have so literally every country on earth is represented on Turtle Island now. Yeah. And you can't say that about almost no. anywhere else in the world. Every country, someone from every country is here. And this like rugged individualism that, you know, as Americans, we culturally love is also, it can get so nasty, but it also, if paired with like that artful creativity would be so rad. <laughs> like people would be so like, rad. What am I doing? What am I great at? And this is one of my favorite things to think about. You know, when we start thinking about ethics and global unrest and like all the things that need to happen, it's easy to start feeling in your own body like, well, I need to join Doctors Without Borders or, you know, I need to do this other thing. And we it can get really depressing if you feel like, but I don't know how to do that. I'm not motivated by that. I don't know. But I think there's just room for incredible change wherever we are. I wanted to tell you a story about, I just saw this on, I was watching like a, a food documentary, as one does. And, and I, I forget the name of the restaurant, but the, the chef is Daniel Hum, I think. And he, he was um, the owner and the head chef at like the a restaurant that was that was named like the top restaurant in the world in New York City. I forget the name of it. Um, but they had their three Michelin stars. And this chef, he, he he set out, he talks in the documentary about how he he set out as a as a young man to be this peak artist. He wants to be like 
the world's best chef and get these Michelin stars. And and then once he achieved this, or not once he'd achieved it, but just this is the timing of it, he started being aware of like how animal, like the animal food industry is ruining the planet. And right. he said he started to feel this ethical conundrum of, well, I'm running one of the best restaurants in the world. And if I can't innovate here and put a different value system on display here, how is anybody else supposed to do it? So he converted his entire menu at this restaurant to vegan. Rad. And he said, and he said in the interview, he said, I was prepared to lose all of our stars. Which mm. is, it's so creative, it's so artful, it's that high ethics, and the truth is, he's still running a very expensive, like, niche restaurant, but that is the place where he is, that is the skill set he has, and this is the biggest impact that he can make, and it's still yeah. highly privileged, but there's something, I think, such a good lesson there about how... totally. We each can kind we're, of take our skills to like the most ethical, artful end. And we're never going to get rid of privilege, right? There always will be some level of, of privilege in the world. And so what we really need is we need all different strata, right? We need from top to bottom. We need a, we need a fundamental readjustment of our society to the realities that we face, right? And what I love about that story is that this was a guy who who he looked at the realities and he said, oh, this is a problem. It's a problem. It's not sustainable. It's not, it's not going to let us, we're not going to be able to keep doing this. If we keep doing it this way, we're going to continue to have, it's just going to get worse. So I can do something and I can make sure that this thing, this place where I'm at, that place is resilient, right? That that place is renewable. And I think we have, we're going to have to do that in every different, everyone, every, in everyone's as sphere of influence. Yeah. And as in many ways as we can. Something I've been thinking about, like I've been writing about and thinking about a lot this year is we each, really, we all, our medium is our life and our self and our body. And some of us make other things with our life and our self and our body. And some of us create ideas. Some of us are part of a team. We all do different things. But I think if, I think there's something so interesting and precious about this idea of what is the thing that only you can do? Mm, what is yeah. the thing that only you can do? And so for me, one of the things that I have done is I've written a lot of art. I've written a lot of music and words and prose about my narcissistic mother. And this is like a very small thing. It's a big thing in my life. It's a small thing in the world. But there have been dozens and dozens of people who've reached out to me and said, I'm so glad that you wrote this because it helps me understand my husband better because his mother yeah. wrote this. And that's pretty powerful in that person's life. I'm not on a Doctors Without Borders team, but those are changes that affect people's lives. And it is, it is, some, it is something that I, Emily Merrill, can do. And you're making art for the very specific community that you make art for, or some of the art you make. I'm sure I'm, I give you space to whatever, how you feel. But that's something that only you can do. Yeah, something that only I can do. And I also think, too, I love that idea of what, what is it that only you can do? One, just to just I'll, I'll, I'll pile on the value of art that exposes narcissistic mothers. 
right? We that is a that is a that is a social a social good. <laughs> Anything yes. that because there's so because uh, and I think this is this is all, that's that's sort of part of the grand unveiling, right? There's so much. One of my favorite expressions of the apocalypse actually comes from this this book. This is the archetype guidebook for they have some cards. So there's this. This is the apocalypsis card. Isn't that a gorgeous card? Yes, it is. And it defines the apocalypse as let me so it says this. Apocalypsis indicates a particularly painful time. One that unfolds when two Disparate dynamics occur simultaneously, pulling the psyche in seemingly op- opposing directions. The first is a lifting of the veil. This means truths that have been kept in the dark are revealed, seen, and unearthed. And that's the the realization that a, an important per- person in, in your life is a narcissist is a lifting of the veil, yeah. right? Because you didn't want to see that. You didn't expect to see that. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh shit. yeah, can't oh shit, right? You can't unsee it. No matter how relieving it is to witness them come into the light, an element of despair and grief follows. The second dynamic is the regeneration that comes from the wreckage of the revealed truth. Say that last part again. The second dynamic, because the first dynamic is the lifting of the veil, right? Where you're like, oh, I see this thing. And then the second dynamic is the regeneration that comes from the wreckage of the revealed truth. Yes, 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 yes. So this and I is think, something. Sorry, go ahead. Well, just I I'm think so that 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 regeneration, that period, that's where we're at right now yeah. in in society. Is there was a truth revealed about our society with COVID, with climate change, with all these wars, with all there. All of these things are coming to light. We're realizing something profoundly true about our society. And I think the thing that we're realizing is the same thing that I realized about Mormonism, which is this society has not been built to keep me safe. This society has actually been built to exploit and oppress me. So now with that realization... What's the regeneration? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I want to hear what I want to I want to hear what got you excited. I, I have so many thoughts. But I think we yeah, I think we can get stuck when like we we talk a lot about the gut instinct and like trusting our gut. And that's something that, you know, as artists we talk about, like learning to trust your gut and trust your instincts. I think there's something confusing there sometimes where when we realize this devastation when the second kind of part happens after this this unveiling and we yeah. have this kind of devastation we there's so much fear there and like disappointment and disgust and whatever that it can be so tempting to be like this feels so bad i will go back i will put the veil back down oh totally yeah um and it, and it can feel you know like how could i po- how could the right thing possibly be to like go through this horror um but yeah that's why so what, what i was going to say is like my my work the hallowed wide it again it's like it's a manifesto it's like it's it's a philosophy that i put into a 12 song album with some visual art the the way that i lay it out is it's first i wrote a little spell first descend then divide make it hallowed make it wide 
So yeah. the, de- the descent is that unveiling, right? The descent is like looking at this shit and just being like, I see it. Okay, I see it. Like we have to take that plunge and it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's very scary. And it takes a lot of creativity to teach your brain and your body how to see and feel reality. And then the the divide is this this the descent is hard enough. The divide is that second piece that you're talking about that's cu- you have to carve these things out of yourself that are maladaptive. It's extremely mm-hmm. painful. It's it's devastating. It's such hard work to 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 take out these pieces of yourself that you cannot if you want to want to see the world in a different way if you want to move about the world in a different way if you want to be more ethical and then there's the the last two parts but but that's that one is the one that that's i got excited about that because i'm like i i'm writing about this too yeah what i love too about that that process that you just described is that sort of feels like similar to the process that i i described in my last episode about the phases of an apocalypse where there's this descent and then you hit rock bottom and then okay now we can rebuild And one of the things that I think, going back to your earlier comment about make the art that only you can make, right? About show up as the way that only, what's the thing that only you can do? I think that's a really powerful idea individually. And I also think that's a really powerful idea collectively. Because one of the things that I think is the most wildly fascinating about where we're at as a species and as a collective right now is that we are we are facing the wreckage of revealed truth and 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 feeling all of those feelings of oh, I really don't want to see it right I really don't want to see it I really don't want to see, I really don't want to acknowledge I think that that was a big thing for everyone else knew that America was racist but for most white Americans we didn't realize that America was still racist until two years ago right and then the BLM happened and everyone was like there was this big unveiling and then all, anyone who was white, they were faced with this choice. Do I acknowledge or do I just keep trying to pull this wool down over my eyes? And I think that that is, I think that there's something really magical about how all throughout America, you have a bunch of people exiting high demand religions and high demand cults like Mormonism, who have been, they've been through a process of realizing that the world that they were told was real was not real, having the destruction that comes from that, and then having to learn how to rebuild a sh- literally a shattered life. Yes. And so yes. you have you have hundreds of thousands of ex-Mormons, of ex-evangelicals, of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, of all of these people coming out of these really strict ex-Orthodox Jews, ex-Catholic, like all these really high demand, all-encompassing worldviews. And they've been through the process of my world is a lie. Holy fuck, what does that mean? I guess I'm going to have to figure out how to make meaning on my own. Yes, And And we have literally thousands of us right on time for the apocalypse. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, the third part of like my project is make it hallowed, which is make it fucking beautiful and sacred. And that's mm-hmm. where like art making is. That's cultivate these skills of like, you know, cause it, like I was saying before, it can be really easy to see it, to see this devastation and then to just be like, 
let's throw the whole thing in the garbage. Just let's throw the whole species in the garbage. We are, it's bad. Things have gotten bad. And I would say that's when it's time to take that third step of make it hallowed, make it beautiful, find beauty, will that beauty into existence. And, and then, yeah, because yeah. that that's what we are is we're these powerful dreamers, right? We're these powerful creators yes. and we literally live in an imagined world right. that we made up. We I love, imagine I love this. all of this bullshit that was going on right now. We imagined that we made that happen. And if we can make that happen, imagine what else we could make, yes. right? Imagine right. what we could make if we were more compassionate if we were more intentional, if we started to imagine a world where everyone gets taken care of and the rights of all are heard, that we actually we actually do the things that we've been paying lip service to yeah. for hundreds of years. We actually live that life. Yeah. We can do that because we we all we made this world. That's the thing that, that that's again going back to to Burning Man. To the thing that was so fascinating to realize out there is that everything out there is created. Yeah. Right? Because it's literally a flat. And then you realize everything everywhere is created. Yeah. That's the main Everything that's like blowing everywhere. Yes. Everything everywhere, <laughs> you guys, is made up. We live, we're humans. We live, we live in made up worlds that we made. We made these worlds. Yeah. And so, so that actually puts us in a position of incredible power because we can unmake them. And we can remake them into better worlds. And I think that's what, that's the real opportunity that we have in the apocalypse right now is yeah. let's make it better. I would love to read you a quote from yourself that you said on my podcast. Oh, I, it's hell my yeah. Favorite. I would love this. It's my favorite. Okay. You said from the mouth of Ben Brown, the fresh King Benjamin. The one and only true prophet. Yes. Okay. So this is what you said. There's something very human about the way that we create. We are storytellers. We're myth makers. There's something really powerful about our imagination. The thing that makes us different from other animals is that we can imagine things that aren't true. And then we can make those things true. And I think that really is the creative process, is having this idea of something that could be and then seeing a way that you could make it actually real. Which I'm a smart boy. <laughs> But also, listen, I was asking you good questions. You were asking me great questions. And to be totally fair, that idea, I, I borrowed that idea from Yuval Harari, who's a, a, an even smarter boy. But but yeah, like that is, that that to me is why I, like, I'm, I'm absurdly optimistic. Yeah. And the reason that I'm absurdly optimistic is that everything, everything that is here we made like everything that's affecting us as humans. We made it makes me. It reminds me of. There's one of my favorite memes. Is it's this picture of this kid and his face is in the dirt, like in the mud, and he's like crying, and his like his mouth is and there's a boot on his face, and his, the boot is just like pushing his face into the mud, and it just says before spiritual awakening, and then the next, then it just zooms out. The next frame is just it zooms out a little bit, and the kid's hand is in the boot. So he's got his own hand in the boot, shoving his face into the mud. And it says after spiritual awakening. And that's it, right? All of the shit that we're dealing with as a species right now, we made it happen. Yeah. So we're not waiting for 
going back to the second coming, right? This, we don't need to wait for someone to come save us because number one, they're not coming. (laughs) And number two, they couldn't, they couldn't if they tried because we are the authors. We're actually the ones who have the power here. We've always had all of the power. We've always had all the power. And what we've done is that we've, just like we did in Mormonism, right? Mormonism is such a great microcosm, I think, for what's happening in the whole world. Because in Mormonism, what happened is that a lot of us, all of us, surrendered our knowing. We surrendered our powerful, creative life force to people who were in charge, and we told them, just tell us what to do and we'll do it. Yeah. Yep. And then they... We talk so much about agency in Mormonism, but... It's anti-agency. We gave up. It's very anti-agency. It's obedience. It's getting in line. And that is the exact thing that happened in the broader world. Because let's let's be real. Like the climate apocalypse was not caused by all of us. It was caused by some of us. There were some people who, who got stupid rich by selling all these fossil fuels. And those people got stupid, stupid rich knowing that what they were doing was bad and then lying to us about it. Like they intentionally obfuscated, which is my favorite word, but I can't ever say it, obfuscated all the science, all the things that we knew were going to happen. They created, they created false flags. They did all of this stuff. And so we've surrendered, we've surrendered our power to the people in charge and they have not, they do, they have not earned our trust and we have to take it back. I think part of the reason that we feel helpless about this, and I know you and I, we, we're different. We don't feel helpless. That's why we're having this conversation. But I think it's easy to feel helpless because we have not been taught to cultivate these skills, but they yeah. are easily cultivated. Like your right. brain and your body are designed to do them. Fucking cultivate them. And yeah, I it's really that, easy. I think it's it's also people can be told this f- story or they can tell themselves this story that's, well, I can't go out and be a totally different person than I am. And I would say you don't have to. One of my favorite ways to think about this is look at everything you're already doing. Maybe stop doing the stuff that you just feel unethical about but I think most of us like the job that we're in the children that we are parents of the 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 lives that we're living in probably hopefully more ways than than less are are in our value systems so how can we take what we're already doing and just be more creative and be more artful and be more ethical Like you don't need to go and learn how to cure cancer or you don't need to go to Ukraine if that's where you are and that's like where your very particular motivation takes you, do it. But if you are someone's mom, just be that person's mom in the most artful and ethical and creative way you can. And if you are an elementary school teacher, do that in the most creative way you can. And if you work in middle management, make your middle management job as ethical and humane and innovative as you possibly can. Yeah, show up, show up where you are. To quote, to quote Elder Uchtdorf, <laughs> ah, uh, bloom where you're planted. Right, like there's there's a lot of value in in recognizing that the world is much smaller. The world is much smaller and much more immediate than we think of it as. And if 
if we're all immediately investing in our communities around us, in the immediate surroundings, and making sure that, hey, the people in my neck of the woods, we're going to be okay. Yeah. We're going to survive this apocalypse okay. If we're all doing that, that creates this whole global ecosystem of us doing that, and then we, and then we crush it. Right, right, right. And when we disagree, we have skills to talk about that. We have skills to be like, how does it look to you? How does it look to me? What are the facts? Where are the facts like not definitive? Where where are there multiple ways to see it? And then say, okay, well, you work on your project and I'm going to work on my project and let's keep talking. We just don't, we're, we, we have no, we have not been taught to, we have not been taught those skills at all. Yeah, which is why I, I wrote a record about it. <laughs> it was like some skills. Here are some skills you should use. You should learn everybody. Creative yeah. skills. Emily, we are coming to the pretty close to the end of our time. All right. Are there is there anything I know, I feel like we got through point one of what you wanted to talk about. But is there anything, is there any kind of final thoughts or or last like last little insights that you want to share around art and the apocalypse? I think maybe the 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 crux of it for me, and maybe this is like a perfect summary. Maybe I told you this before, but my patriarchal blessing, which as you had said in your episode two, is like your your little private prophecy. Um, right. My patriarchal blessing has this line in it that says, God respects truth regardless of where it is found. Mm. And that taught me and allowed me, It's the irony is so thick, but it, it taught me to to receive knowledge and to ask questions without fear. And that has become something that is in many ways like an integral part of my creativity and my creative experience. And I would say the first step is like when you feel fear, ask more questions. Look for mm -hmm. more truth. Don't be afraid of what the answer is going to be. Look for it. Find it. Take some steps. Eat the whale one bite at a time. And yeah, just stay present and active and creative. In your mind I love this. To me, the, the final thought for me on the subject of art and the apocalypse is just something that I've noticed, which is because I, I often think of where we live. We live in Utah, right? And, and to me, Utah, Wyoming, which is where I'm from originally, that feels like the furthest extent of kind of white nationalist America, right? The, the people who came here injected white supremacist America and kind of like spread across the continent and manifest destiny. The furthest place that they got to was like Utah and, and up into Wyoming. And so I often see as I drive around here, I, it, it feels like that's the place where you would see the, the flywheel winding down. Right. So that to me looks like I, I drive around and I'll see like a Dick's sporting goods, except it's not Dick's sporting goods anymore. It's X sporting goods. Because that D sign yeah. isn't lit anymore and it's never going to be lit again. Right. And I see that all all throughout this area where it's just like the the sort of the it was like this big push and this big expansion and now it's settling back. And as it's settling back, there's there's it's interesting because you also see nature coming back, nature growing up over these old buildings that have been abandoned, cars abandoned and falling to pieces in everywhere. Yeah in the field, right? And the other thing that you see that I that I love is I I'm starting to see 
all of this art being made on the bones of this old world. So people painting murals on the sides of abandoned buildings, people doing graffiti on these old cars, like all of these different ways that we are using art to beautify our our spaces, even as our spaces are falling into disrepair, even as our spaces falling into decline, that that we can we can be creative and be beautiful about that. And I think that 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 to me is just such a beautiful example of how humans respond when things go to shit. Because when things go to shit, we still make art. We're still we're doing it right now. You and I are doing it right now. Right now in this in this conversation and all of our all of the humans are doing it and and so there's not there's not a lot of fear that I feel there's there's actually a lot of a lot of hope because regardless of what happens we humans are always going to be human and we're always going to continue to make art and beauty in the in the places around us because that's what we do that's what we've done the whole time yes hell yeah anyway. Emily, where where could people go to to find you if they want if they wanted to follow you? Yeah, all of my things are on emilymerrillmusic.com. However, beware, my last name does not have an I. It's M-E-R-R-E-L-L. Emilymerrillmusic.com. Rad. Thank you so much for joining me and being my first interview. As always, if you guys want to follow me, I'm at the Fresh King Benjamin on all social platforms. And thanks for joining us on today's episode of Vibing the Apocalypse. Stay safe out there.